welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And on this episode, we are talking with Jano DeMartin-Prey about a subject that all of us, or at least many of us, have dealt with, especially in the culture we live in these days. And that is the struggle with depression. What does it look like to wrestle with this issue before God and invite Him into the struggle? These are the kinds of things we're going to be talking about today as Jono gives us a glimpse into his journey wrestling with depression. So let's do this. Thank you, Jono, for being on the show. I think this is the third time? Third time. Charming number, right? You must be a charming guy because I think that's the record, isn't it? I think so. Outside of me, the first season before I became a co-host with you. I'll take it. So, Jana, this is a, a very timely subject, even for the time of year we're going into as we're recording this. We're going into the holidays, which I would say statistically is where there's a big bump in people struggling with depression for all kinds of reasons revolving around the holidays. Uh, it's actually like statistically, I believe it's January through March are like the most depressing months and scientists have checked out and they think it's because of all the bills that hit after all the Christmas shopping. And that's like when the, when the, your credit card statements come in that plus, uh, it's darker months, not as much sun, which vitamin D definitely helps your body process through different chemicals and keeping it all balanced. But into my story, I no. First, I like how you have to prove me wrong. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You did it to me on the last yeah. one, so this I is did? payback. Yeah, or maybe wow. it was our first one. Um, uh, I've nice. Been, I've been waiting for it. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so going into my story, yeah, I grew up in a, a house that honestly was pretty easy to live in, and I don't have like a ton of trauma from childhood. But once I was in college, uh, it was my about my senior year, and first I got a girlfriend, my first girlfriend ever, and then I was taking the equivalent of 23 units of college, and I was working over 20 hours a week. I was just destroying every mental capacity that I had. So coming into graduation, I started freaking out. I didn't understand why I just felt down all the time. I felt like just kind of totally empty Um, and I couldn't figure it out like I couldn't go to sleep because I had too many thoughts going on in my mind I remember days where I just couldn't sleep so I would grab a notebook and a pen and I would go out in my hall of our dorm and just write for as long as it took for me to get tired and then I would go in and I would fall asleep so I had a lot of anxiety a lot of just over processing And the way that I dealt with it then was I just went out in the hall and I would make poetry or I would uh, just start journaling. And it helped. It helped a lot. But then I graduated and I got a job with a sales company that I wasn't super stoked on, but I needed the money. So I took it and started working for them. About three weeks after I started working for them, I got in a car accident with a semi-truck Four days later, I'm driving this old 2001 Taurus, and it shuts down on the freeway, just total like engine failure, basically. So I pull off to the side of the road. I call my mom that time, and I just break down. 
I'm just sobbing on the phone waiting for the tow truck to get there. In that two weeks, I'm taking the train, I'm riding my bike to my sales routes, like all this stuff. It was super difficult. But at the end of those two weeks, I get a call from our HR department and they said, hey, we just wanted to let you know that we fired your manager and we're closing your entire branch. So this is your last week of work. So I had only been working for like about a month at that point, maybe a little bit over. So our payout, our severance pay was that last week of work and our sick pay and our PTO, which after a month of working is not very much. So I'm just there like, how is this going to work? Like, I don't know what's going on. Up to this point, I had been talking to my sister-in-law about getting a job up in San Luis Obispo. But at the end, I was just like, I don't have a car, I don't have a job, and rent is coming up, and I don't have money. I have a little, but not enough to like cover it going forward. It was a lot of me having a lot of time to think over all the awful things going on in life. Because I went from a 40-hour job to no job, and just having an entire week to dwell on all my issues and it was great you know just love that time that is like my first intro to what depression was and I remember very clearly I was sitting on a couch and looking out the window this bright beautiful day with a little bit of wind and I was just looking at a tree and watching the leaves and I had this thought I should find this extremely beautiful and I don't and it was that like realization nothing is beautiful to me right now. And it just started to like kind of infest in other areas of my life and it started to grow. And I was scared. I didn't know what to do about it. I just knew that I needed to get out of there. So my sister-in-law and brother helped me out and they said, hey, come on up here. Just live with us for a little while. And I am eternally grateful to them for it. It's the greatest gift anyone has given me. They helped me get up here, and so yeah, with a maxed out credit card, with a car that you look at and you're like, oh, that's half a car, and all my problems stuffed into that little yellow car, I drove up to San Luis Obispo and started staying with my brother and sister-in-law. I kind of got some uh, space, had a safe place to like kind of deal through some of the stuff, and also because I was in a new area, I was able to disassociate from the pending doom of my brain. How did that help? There's a weird thing that moving gives me like, hey, this time it's going to be different. You're totally fine. You're, you're free of your issues. And it seemed that way for a while. And then they started coming back. So I moved in with a client with a mental health company that I was working for and started like helping him with his mental health. I started to actually heal some of my mental health issues, like depression. Just being in an environment where that's so, like, prominent, I actually started to learn more about it and what depression is and how to, like, accept it and how to move in and, like, get some healing in there. But it was all, like, very temporary, like, oh, just give it to a higher power. That's kind of the advice that they would give all the time. And there was a point where I started getting unhappy about being in slow. So I actually came up with this crazy idea. I'm like, all right, I can't live in L.A. I don't like where I grew up, and I don't want to live in slow. 
in San Luis Obispo, which I will commonly refer to as slow. And so I went to Europe and I bought a one-way ticket and I was just like, all right, we're going to see if there's anywhere over here that I would like to live. That was one of the purposes of me going there. I went to Portugal. I, I went into a lot of detail on this trip in our previous episode, but I uh, went to Portugal, spent a couple months there, uh, and then took about the next month and a half, two months to bike through Spain, France, England, and Ireland. It's beautiful over there, but what I realized is about four weeks into the trip, I missed my friends. I want to be back with them. Like, this is home for me right now. And so I finished out my trip and came back and was really good for a couple months. And then it just started getting darker in my mind. I started feeling down. I didn't have enough energy to do things that I loved. And I didn't love them anymore, so I had even less energy for them. And I didn't understand why my job was meh. It was okay. I I really had a hard time. And... Uh, The date that I will never forget, I don't think I'll ever forget, is July 4th of 2019. And that's the first day that I told three of my really good friends what was going on. That I just felt depressed. I didn't feel like there was anything really good going on in life. And yeah, I just opened up to them. And I was just like, I was so tired and I didn't care if people knew at that point. Mental health is really interesting in that you don't want to disappoint people or have them label you as something depressed down whatever you want to call it this could be incorrect but I find that it's a lot harder for guys because we have this thought of like we have stuff to do like why would I get depressed I have stuff to do I have places to be and I was watching a video the other day this gal was just going around a city just asking random people like hey like When you're in trouble, who do you call? Or when you have issues, who do you call? And like all the girls will have someone that they're like, oh, I call my dad, I call my friend or this guy, this mentor in my life. And almost every single guy goes, call someone? No, I'm a guy. I don't don't have someone to call. That encapsulates how I felt in that moment of like, I don't have anyone. These people are here, but they don't really know what's going on in my life. So yeah, July 4th, I just get sick of it. And I'm just like, hey, this is where I'm at. I don't remember watching the fireworks that year because we were just so in this conversation. And then in that, I find out that one of my other friends is kind of struggling with it as well. And so we just started talking a lot more and like getting into each other's lives and just helping support each other. And it was awesome. It was a point where... I just felt heard and understood and that's a lot of what doesn't happen is like when I would tell someone that I'm feeling down or whatever the response I would get is no you're just such a happy person you're so full of joy you love helping people you'll get over it it was insult on top of injury of like I don't feel that way and I know that but like now that they're saying that it's like oh you're you're being a downer you're not like really focus on like your joyful side and I'm like what joyful side I know that that's like the facade I've put on for you but I don't feel that way like so it was really tough when people would just say oh you're so joyful you're so happy all the time and whatever because I didn't feel it I realized how dark the mask 
as I would come to coin it, was. The mask would be that false persona that I'm showing off to people. And it comes up a lot as I read through a lot of my old poetry and my journals from back then. It's me talking about this mask. And it's this persona that I feel like I have to uphold in order to show people that I'm happy, that I'm always joyful, because that's what they expect from me. And it's not who I am. But because of this this status that other people want to see me as, I would live up into that and I would put this mask on and I would go to church or go to Bible studies or hang out with friends and have a great time. And I would genuinely have a good time. Normally, what would happen is I would get home and I couldn't distinguish what was me having a good time and what was this persona that I was showing people. And it was really sad because I was just like, I couldn't tell where I ended and the mask began. And so it started a journey of me talking with these people in my life and getting real about it for them to actually start to speak into that. Because now they could tell me that I'm joyful, that I am light-spirited because they know where I'm at. And I felt like that was something that I was okay with. These people, they're not just saying it because I have this mask on. They're saying it because even though they see the, the darker aspects of me, because they know that I have this depression, they still see these joyful parts of me. And so it's interesting because they would be saying the exact same thing as all these other people would. But for some reason, I believe them because they could see behind the mask because I let them in. I have so many poems about it, but it started to crack the mask. And it's just like these little slivers of cutting and cutting away a little bit more of that mask. And then at one point, I, I couldn't tell where it was. I was living an honest life. When people would ask me how I'm doing, I would just be honest with them. Because I would rather be honest with someone and get a true response than to just say I'm okay and lie to them in a way. Like I would say I was okay. It would be really hard for me to like talk to them about like real stuff. And that's how it kind of started. That's how the depression started? That's how the the healing from that like initial depression started. The the depression I don't know where it started. It was a lot of stuff that I had pushed down over years. And I think it always comes back up when I'm about to face something super hard because I don't want to deal with it. So I just push it down and I push it down and then it starts to boil up in different areas. And depression is one of those types of things that is never really just one thing. It's the combination of a lot of different stuff going on at once, I think. And while there is seasonal depression and clinical depression and there's there are differences and different grades usually it takes a combination of multiple factors to get you to the place where you're just in a way hopeless or you don't see anything that is joyful or colorful in life yeah up to a couple of years ago that's where I was at through 2020 it's funny because lots of people say 2020 is like the worst year ever. It's literally the best year of my entire life up to this point. I'm so thankful for 2020. The events that happened were definitely not preferable. 
but people started to feel the way that I felt before that. And it was really interesting to be able to have the unique perspective of going through that and talking with them. I remember being at a Bible study once and one of my friends told a group of guys um, that he was struggling with depression and everyone started doing the exact thing that I had just mentioned where they just went, oh, you're such a great guy. You're always so happy. You love God. You're reading your Bible all the time. And they start qualifying why he shouldn't be depressed. And whether it was nice or not, I literally just told everyone to shut up in the Bible study. And then I was like, hey, is this how you feel? And I laid it out. I'm like, you feel like you understand these things are like true in your life, but you, you can't hear it from other people because when you hear it, it sounds like they're just trying to minimize your depression and how you're feeling right now. And I just like started talking to him about like what I experienced and just asking him questions. Is this how you feel? Is this what you're going through? And everyone was like so mad at me because they're like, oh, John was just trying to take over the stage. And the guy was just like, that's exactly how I feel. In that moment, I just realized God doesn't waste stuff like this. God had a family member of mine who went through their own depression and still struggles with it, who encouraged me so much through my down times, and then I can encourage them in their down times. And it's, it's been amazing knowing that I'm not alone because it's a very prominent thing right now. And I see the isolation, which creates a perfect environment for depression, has been so prominent over the last two years or three, almost three years. If you look at the charts of depression and like how they've scaled over the last three years, it's ridiculous. This is like the next thing. We've kind of been in more normal states recently, but something's not right. You can kind of tell when you go outside, when you're hanging out with people. People aren't as joyful and sociable People start to isolate, and that's a lot of where depression loves to fester and grow. You said earlier that there's multiple avenues that led to depression. So besides isolation, what are some of the other factors that came together to create this depression? There's a lot of them. Porn was a big one that fed into it. And not anyone knowing about it, too? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that time, I was not a part of a group or getting healing in that area. So, yeah, that was a big part of it. And then another big part is I just remember just hating myself. It was just like I would look myself in the eye, and i that's all that I could feel is, like, contempt towards myself. When I was depressed, that was sometimes the case, but it was even when I was outside of it. All of that started to shift in 2020 when I started like getting healing in uh, in like a group for porn. I started getting more vocal about my like where I was at emotionally with my friends. Started living a non-isolated life and started opening up to people more. Before 2020, I saw being like emotionally vulnerable as a weakness. And the amount of strength that I've gained through working through that with people has proven that wrong. <laughs> like, it, it's insane, like, how how much freer I feel now than just back then. It, it's crazy. I don't feel like I'm living a lie. I feel like my goals are set. I know which direction I want to head in. 
And even though things get in the way and things are annoying and they aggravate me through that. And sometimes I have good days. Sometimes I have bad days. Being connected has helped me pursue it and not live a lie. Back then, there was a lot of of me putting that mask on to hide so many aspects of myself that I did not know who knew me. I actually have multiple poems. Like, if you only knew me, you would never want me. Because that was my view on every single person in my life, that was my view of God. Okay, God's omniscient. He knows everything. But does he? If God actually knew how bad and how awful and how sinful, I just would put all these labels on myself. And then if he knew all this about me, he would never send his son to die for me. Like it's too much for him. There was like a big disconnect with me and what God's grace was and how much God's grace covers. Let's just say God's done a lot of healing in that area. But then again, I still struggle with depression. I was just really like struggling with it a couple months ago up till a couple weeks ago. And I was talking with one of my guys and I'm like, dude, I don't know what's going on. Like, this is how I feel. And I don't know what's happening. And he's just like, what's been slipping? What's different? Like, what what is happening that is changing your, your projection towards Christ and sending you into this avenue of darkness? Where is the difference? The main one, I've been really loose about my morning devotions. So I tightened up and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wake up. One of my friends would say it's middle of the night, but I'll just say early morning <laughs> and I'm going to keep with like a solid devotion time and I'm going to do prayer journals and I'm just going to work through it. And I cannot understate how important it was for me to get that advice from that true friend who heard all that I was going through and was just like, hey, let's find the correct path. Like, what's going on? So did it take away all the dark days? No. But even on those days, it's more of a perspective shift of being able to say, hey, you know what? There's this second person in me (laughs) that doesn't care about the best I have. I actually have named that that side of my brain. His name's Charles. So sometimes when I'm just like hating on myself or feeling like this morning, this morning I literally woke up and I'm like, today's going to be a bad day. And I was just like, I didn't even call out Charles on that. But Charles, today was not a bad day because I went home and I was very intentional about, you know what? I feel that today's going to be a bad day and I'm going to spend some extra time with God. Like I'm going to spend some extra time in journaling and it's funny because like now I just bring that to God. I'm going, God, like I have no reason to think that today's going to be a bad day. I have no reason to live like today's going to be a bad day. Can you show me where you're at today? And I was having coffee and it was so good. And I was sitting at my desk and there's a hummingbird feeder right outside mm-hmm. and the hummingbird right there. And I, I just started taking joy in the little small things and it started to change my perspective. And then I went out and I continued my day and it's been an amazing day. Not that that's always going to be that easy, but it definitely was today to just go, you know what, I'm in the practice of bringing this to God to bring good old Charles and go, hey, Charles is 
pretty loud today. Can you put him in a little prison? Thank you. <laughs> and just realizing that God has the best in mind for us and all things we do, we will prosper for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Like God will make a way for us. What maybe are a few practical tools for people who maybe are recognizing that they're depressed? And I know trust is a hard thing, but there's got to be a few maybe baby steps they can take. Yeah, no, it's not easy. What I'd say is the scariest thing you can do is also the number one thing you can do for yourself, and that is find someone you trust and tell them. Honestly, like, you just need to tell someone. Even if that's just, like, your normal barista who will think you're crazy, like, hey, like, I'm just not having a good day. Just be honest where with where you're at. You don't have to have a good day every day. And cultivating honesty has been one of the best ways to, like, fight this. There's no need for you to put on a show for the people you're around. And one thing that I would just say about that is honesty is infectious and people want to be honest. I, I just find that in everyone that I've met or at least almost everyone that I've met, where if I'm honest about where I'm at, it opens so many doors. There's so many guys that because I've been able to talk about my sexual troubles, that I've been able to talk with really awesome guys who have never, ever told anyone anything and have found so much freedom since. So the big thing is, If you're just honest with where you're at, you don't know how many people are begging for someone to be honest with. Wow. If you have trust issues and you have the option, counselors could possibly be a good option for those of us who maybe have some other things going on that are making it even harder. Yeah. There's lots of people who are not expensive. <laughs> like, the, of course, like therapists will help you with this too. Mm-hmm. But I, I see counselors and therapists in the same light. This is a very good first step to become honest with the people in your life because mm-hmm. that's who care about you. Those are the people who love you and want to hear about your story and your life you might lose some of them when you start talking about this stuff. I have. I've lost some friends because I started getting real with them and they couldn't take someone actually being honest and working through their stuff while they're sitting back here not wanting to deal with their own. And that's normally what I find is like the people who will reject you if you get honest with them are people who are in denial about the areas of struggle in their own life. And it scares them to see you starting to get real about yours. It's uh, like a mirror. You become a living mirror reflecting to them their own dishonesty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's really hard to be honest with them. But it's hard to be honest with anyone. Because honesty puts yourself and your ego and your image at risk. And we never have needed that more than today. You go on Instagram you'll see hundreds of thousands of people lying to their friends every single minute they submit a picture. Either they took 17 pictures to get the perfect one, 
or they threw on 14 filters or put in some caption that this is the best day of my life. A lot of Christians, what I find is uh, they want to be honest, but no one has fostered an environment for them to be honest in. Yeah, so you go to church, you just see the perfect pastor with the perfect family. They've never sinned in the last 14 years that he's been a pastor there. There's never been a downfall. The people greeting you are always just so joyful and excited that you're there. And you are welcomed into this very comfortable environment to be perfect. And one thing that I've noticed is that is kind of an area that can foster a lot of dishonesty. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm fine because like, you know, this is happening in my life. It's really hard, but God will get me through it. And it's not that they're actually trusting God to get them through it, but they have picked up on this churchy lingo that, oh, God will get me through it. Okay, if I say that, then people are like very encouraging, very supportive. They're willing to pray and work with you and go like, hey, how can we help? But if you go up to someone and go like, hey, I'm dealing with depression. I don't know how to deal with this. Like, I just don't feel right. And people like to push you off on the counselor or on some pastor. Even friends. I've found that a lot of my friends that I've talked with have opened up their hearts and gone like, I totally understand. I've also been there. Or people that have not experienced it. But I still find it valuable to talk with them because what if the next person that they meet with is in that hopeless space? And I've had that happen where someone that I knew has talked with someone that they know about uh, some of the struggles that I've gone through. Then they've like connected us and I've been able to help them. My story doesn't have to be projected by me. In the same way that Jesus's story doesn't have to just be projected by Jesus. He's working through my life and I get to teach people about his story. And then through my rocky at best story... I can point people to Christ, towards honesty, towards cultivating a new church environment where not only are you comfortable coming because you know that your sins are like redeemed and you are redeemed and you are loved and you are cherished, but also that you can be honest and not rejected. And that's super difficult. I would just say like the evangelical church is really bad about this right now. Hmm. That's like a very big blanket statement. but Yeah. Well, the hope I hear in this is if one person can take Paul seriously in Colossians 3 when he says, do not lie to each other, right? If one person can do that, and that one person, and I'm talking about you, then can influence other people to be honest and see the beauty and power there is in breaking cycles of depression before it gets really going, or even in the midst of it, that they can find that honesty and authenticity actually is a, is a powerful thing to break those cycles, to help walk through depression. If one person can experience that and they're sharing their story with other people and now here, then the hope is our culture can shift in the church and outside the church. All it takes is 
one person. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus was, yes, God and man, but he was one person. He had just a few guys that turned the whole world upside down. So this gives me hope that we can be on an upswing towards authenticity. And that's what I hear is authenticity with God and with people is the real game changer when it comes to facing depression and walking through that journey into health. Absolutely. I would say that that was the point where I was no longer in this cycle of running from my problems, running from this doom that was following me from uh, college into after college, into slow, into Portugal and Europe, and back to slow. It was the moment that I talked to them July 4th of 2019 that started to shift the tide. And since then, I have not felt alone in my depression and in my down days and my dark days. It's still there. It still looms from time to time. It still comes back. Like I said, I was dealing with it pretty rough for about a month. Yeah, like a month and a half, two months. And it wasn't that I was alone. I was talking with my family member, who was amazingly encouraging. Talking with my my group and those guys, just going, hey, this is where I'm at. I don't feel great. I don't know what's going on. I'm scared of like depression returning. It is scary. Feeling like there's no hope. Not seeing color or having any joy. And so checking in with guys when I'm having those like black and white days or when I just feel like I don't have energy to do things I love. And so by checking in with them and talking with them and continuing to not shy away from those deep feelings and taking them to other guys. And when I'm forgetting to take them to God, they're constantly redirecting me to God. And it's just encouraging because that is where the true help comes from. It's kind of like a daily struggle for me right now. I know that if I start out my day right, I can have the morning free, kind of. But I constantly have to bring it to God when I'm like having those those invasive thoughts. And I verbalize out like, hey, God, I'm catching these. I'm taking these thoughts captive and I'm bringing them to you because I don't feel worthy. I don't feel I'm loved. I don't feel like I have any part to play in this grand story of yours. Like, I just feel lost. And when I do that, and I verbalize that or just bring it to God, he can go, hey, I sent my son because I love you. If you think your sin is great, think about literal perfection, and that's what was substituted for your sin. It covers it. You're not that sinful, Jono. (laughs) (laughs) And so he continuously, like, can speak into that. But if I'm just holding on to it and just thinking, I shouldn't feel this way, and I'm fighting against it, then I'm in trouble. In yourself. Yeah. In your your own mind. Yeah, if I'm fighting in my own mind against myself, it's not pretty. What is really interesting and and powerful is, again, the specific ways you're being honest. You're not just coming to God or being encouraged to pray about it. You're being honest about how you're feeling to Him 
You're opening yourself up to with honest feelings. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. And then giving him the, the chance to speak into it. And the second thing is you see it as a continual pattern that needs to happen throughout the day, right? Mm. It isn't just the morning. Like when you start to feel that way again, it's coming right back to being honest. You're, you don't do that perfectly is what I'm hearing, but you're learning you're learning the practice of that, mm-hmm. which is interesting that if you look at Scripture, we look at Scripture with a Western lens and we miss some things. One of the things I missed for years is that the Jews stopped and prayed three times a day. Mm-hmm. They called it, you know, the Jewish hours of prayer. It was nine, noon, and three, at least in the way we tell time. They stopped and went to the temple or like Daniel who couldn't have access to the temple, faced the temple and prayed towards it three times a day. So that that idea of continually touching base, to be honest with him and unburden themselves of what was happening on an interior level, right? An inner place. And if you look at that, that's exactly what you're talking about is these regular touch points through the day. And if you look at that from scriptural standpoint, and you did a study on it, you'd be amazed. Mm. I was amazed at how many of the miracles and the God experiences that people had were in those daily times of prayer. Yeah, Daniel's visions of the future are in those daily times of prayer. Peter and John going to the temple called Beautiful, or through the gate called Beautiful, and healing a man who was lame is at one of those hours of prayer. Peter having the experience where the cloth comes down, a sheet comes down, and God tells him to not call things clean, unclean that he calls clean, and then has this whole experience with Gentile believers, you know, or Gentiles coming to faith, all happen because they are having these regular touch points of prayer throughout the day. Yeah. And God is meeting them in those places. That's called heaven. I would say the opposite is also true. If heaven is intimacy with God and with other people, with God at the center of that, then hell is isolation. Yeah. You feel like hell when you're isolated, so because it makes separ- sense. Right? The word we use is separation, right? Yeah. And that's what we're doing yeah. in isolation. Think on this before we close out in prayer, but think about this. When Jesus says people come to me, will come to me at the end and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name, even casting out demons. What's his response to them? Away from me, what? I never knew you. Not just, hey, once I knew you, and then you you left. I never knew you. I never knew you. Think of the person who isolates, who refuses to let God in to know them. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, hey, you never let me in to know you. Yeah. The scary thing is there's people in our churches who pray out of what they think they should pray. And I was one of them, but never prayed out of what was really going on. Yeah, sometimes it makes me want to be an introvert because then I would have like more time to do that. And I'm like, oh, wait, you know what? Let me... Let me rephrase this and let me still seek God out because he is someone that I can have an an intimate relationship with and still be 
extremely extroverted, but I also like have the other people that I like let into my struggles and let into my life and whatnot. So absolutely. And on that note, thank you for coming on, Jono. If you wouldn't mind, you know, as you already know, since you've been on before, we like to wrap this up with you praying for the people who are going to be listening and for anyone who might be going through the same struggle that you've been going through. Yeah. Dear Lord, uh, thank you just for the ability to come to you no matter where we are, no matter what we're feeling. Lord, I just pray for anyone who is struggling with uh, depressive thoughts or has been for a while. I just pray that you start to unveil the light in their life. Uh, Start bringing them to you. I pray that you give them courage to go and seek others out, to be honest with where they're at. I pray that you start to bring healing into their life, into this specific aspect of their life. I pray that you uh, just comfort them and help them know that they are not alone in this. There are a lot of people dealing with depression right now. Yeah, like me, there's probably a lot of them that don't want to talk about it or don't know what to say because they have a image that they want to uphold. Lord, help us to uh, give up our own image and take on yours. Lord, help the church have a heart that is accepting and cultivating honesty within it. I just pray that you, yeah, that you just put it heavy on the leader's hearts to invite those who are struggling with whatever it is. That is a place that people can come and receive your healing and come into your presence. So yeah, Lord, I just pray for anyone who might hear this, that uh, you encourage them to be honest in their own lives with those around them, help them to understand that they are loved by you and others, and that they can be honest and have a relationship with people that maybe they don't even dream that they can. So Lord, I just pray that you bless them and protect them in your name. Amen. Jenna, this is awesome. I think what was gold for me in the beginning was when you made the statement, do you love me or my mask? Hmm. Right? That was that huge statement of, of those who are hiding in isolation. Do you just love me or do you love the mask that I wear? And how your honesty began to shatter that mask until basically you said it disappeared yeah that was beautiful man power right there so thank you for sharing yeah my pleasure always nice having you on board thank you guys thanks so much for listening to this episode of life hurts god heals and if you're curious to know more about us and what we offer We are part of a larger organization called Elevate Slow, which is a disciple-making movement intent on seeing the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, planted in every culture around the world. If you'd like more information, you can go to our website, elevateslow.com. That's elevateslo.com. And as always, please remember that you are God's beloved So be loved.